Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. I'm going to switch things up today by bringing in an entrepreneur and pioneer in the remote workspace. While everyone was trying to figure out the ins and outs of working from home, she had been there, done that, sold her wildly successful remote company, written a book on the subject, and dazzled the world with her charms. You'll see what I mean by that once you get to know her. Today, my dear friend Kim Shepard, author, speaker, philanthropist, and former CEO of Decision Toolbox, will talk about remote leadership, removing obstacles, and how to find success as an entrepreneur. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, Gina. It's nice to be here. Kim, the reason why I wanted you on the show was not only because you are a wildly successful and respected entrepreneur, but you were a pioneer in the remote workspace two decades before COVID hit. How did that come about? <laughs> well, it wasn't intentional. I, I had a, a company with about 40 employees at the time, and uh, 9-11 hit. And my industry stopped. It was dead in the water. And I wanted to retain as many bodies as I could. So I thought the only way to do that was to get rid of every cost I could imagine except for salary. And that included company cars and cubicles, office space, server rooms. I mean, all of that stuff. There was a, I brought in a, a consultant and he said, there's 27 things you need to get rid of. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And there was no manual at the time. There was no one for me to follow at the time, but I was headstrong in knowing that I wanted to keep my people. And so I went through that 20 list item and just started cutting. And fortuitously, I owed the bank a quarter of a million dollar bridge loan. And I say that fortuitously because I could say, I know you, I owe you $10,000 on office space and I can only afford to give you $1,200 but you can sue me, but you have to get behind the bank. And I went down the list and said that, and everybody took my initial offers of reduced payment. And I was able to go quasi remote. And then about a year later, I went completely remote. And I was thankfully able to keep every single person on my staff. I had to go without salary for a year, but, but I kept them. And what kind of business was this? Yeah, so it was a high volume recruitment firm. So if you needed a thousand of something, a thousand cashiers for the 99 cent store chain, or a thousand aerospace engineers for Northrop Grumman, we would we did the high volume. And I had 96 stay at home moms, all making a ton of money, and being able to uh, be on the phone talking to hiring managers and candidates while changing their babies' diapers. And it worked out great because I knew the importance of retention of my staff and with offering remote moms the ability to earn a nice living. And I mean, many of them were making six figures, a nice living 
working from home, I would never lose them. And I didn't lose them. How did you get into that? Because I know you started in journalism. (laughs) You know what? I'm sorry for everyone who's listening, who's in human resources, but clearly I did not read the manual correctly because the manual would say, identify the people you most want to associate with and build a business around them. Well, the people I least wanted to associate with were human resources, and I accidentally built a business around them. I was a television reporter for 11 years. My thing in journalism was to look for the holes in stories. I looked at recruitment after I got out of broadcasting and became the director of entertainment for Club Med for a couple of years. I wanted to go find myself a a job in corporate America. So I got myself a job as a recruiter to find myself a job in corporate America. Well, when I got involved with recruitment, I realized that in my opinion, this was a profession that was completely screwed up. They were charging the wrong fees for the wrong amount of work. They were, I just thought everything was structured incorrectly. And so I decided to set out to build a model, a recruitment model that I thought was fair. And we charged a fifth of the fees that our competition did, but we did 10 times the volume. So my competitors would say, you're leaving so much money on the table. And I would say, oh, really? We made 10 hires, you made one, and I made 27% more money than you. So who's the dummy here? So then 9-11 happened and it just took a turn that you didn't expect. Yeah. So for about two years, I had to restructure myself, came out completely remote, and then we were postured for greatness. We were postured for growth. So coming out remote put me in a posture where I was ahead of my competition always. So now that you've got this remote scenario going on, what did you do that set you up for success as a leader? I think that one of the things that I did right as a leader is I would take everyone's role and I would strip out everything that was icky about it and put them in that pure role of 100% of what they want to do and strip out everything that they didn't. And it would start with their first day of work. So usually if you're just hired with a company, you show up for work and you're at a desk and you don't know anybody and you don't know where the bathroom is and you don't know where the pencils are and you got to fill out this healthcare crap paperwork. And, you know, and then in about week three, you start to ease into your job. You go to lunch on your first day. You don't know where to eat. You don't know what, how much time do I have? You know, any of that stuff. Well, I stripped all of that down so that if, if I hired you, Gina, Two weeks before you started work, all of your healthcare paperwork is sent to you electronically. You fill it all out at your leisure and you get it back to us. At the end of week two, two weeks before you're joining the company, you're sent a box and there's a a letter from me. There's a monstrous fortune cookie with this little thing coming out of it saying that we predict a bright future for you at Decision Toolbox. There's, you know, your mug, there's a, there's all that stuff so that I have now officially onboarded you. And then the day before you start work, you get an electronic agenda of what day one's going to look like. And there's going to be a virtual lunch where a lunch appears at your door and your hiring manager, your, your boss eats that lunch with you online so that you, you're with your boss at lunch, the best we can do virtually. Your day is outlined. There's no paperwork. You step into training. You've got mentors. And there's an entire mentoring program set up for your first three uh, weeks of work. 
Because isn't that really the way it should be? That is incredible. So everybody listening, imagine euphoria on the way your company could be and do it because it's all doable. They have to fill out paperwork anyway. Why not make it pleasurable? They are thanking me for sending it to them electronically. They are thanking me, therefore the company, for having lunch with their boss delivered at their door. They're thanking me for giving them a fortune cookie that's almost the size of a football. And the reason for that is that I don't want them to eat it. I wanted to sit on their desk and remind them of the cult that they just joined. So it's not a little fortune cookie. It's a big fortune cookie. There's a letter from me there on the first day of their second week. They have an hour with me on back then it was Skype. And we're going to Skype together and you're going to get to know me. And I'm going to say, what do you want from this job? What questions do you have for me? What were your thoughts coming into this? Why did you join me? You could have picked anybody. Why did you pick, why did you pick my company? And there's this full on hour long dialogue. It's going to happen anyway. Why not structure it to your benefit? So it sounds like you're really giving your employees the opportunity to invest their ideas in the company. Yes. And let's, okay. So let's peel back the onion a little bit. Let's see what I'm really doing (laughs) because I am the CEO, right? What I'm really doing is they're going to give me what I give them. So if I give them helter skelter on week one, they're going to give me helter skelter back. If I give them excellence and time management and structured communication and structured meetings that start on time, and I'm not talking about one minute late, I'm talking about on time and the end on time, they're going to give me that back. So if I set them up properly, I get the best of them day one. That is a brilliant way to set up a remote business. So you recently sold Decision Toolbox. So we ended up building the company to $11 million, And two years ago, I sold it to a $200 million company in North Carolina that was um, into rewards and recognition and retention. So to plug in the recruitment component, so you recruit, you reward, you recognize, you retain was kind of a no-duh to bring my company in. And selling my company to a company that cared about their employees was kind of a godsend to me. That was, it was because I was looking for an exit strategy after 18 years. And I always said day one, I said, when I get the company to 10 million, I'm going to start looking for a suitor. And the day I went to 10 million, I started looking and I sold at 11. I'm always fascinated when people hit these enormous challenges along the way and choose not to give up. What kept you from packing it in after 9-11 hit and your industry died? Well, you know what? I'm going to back way up until age 10. Do you mind indulge me for a minute? Sure. Okay. So I'm the oldest of four kids, single mother, waitress, holding down two waitress jobs to make ends meet. One Thanksgiving, she took a can of Spam and put a pineapple ring on it and told us it was turkey and we believed her, (laughs) or ham. She told us it was ham and we believed her. Happy childhood given really crummy circumstances and we were really broke and we didn't know it. So I'm 10 years old. I have something going on at school. I don't know what it is. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. I go into the bathroom. My mom's putting on her mascara. I put down the toilet seat cover. I sit down. I'm like, mom, whatever. 
And my mom is applying her mascara and she says, you know what, honey, let me tell you something. If the whole world tells you something's wrong and can't be done, and in your heart you think it's right and can be done, and she looked at me and she said, F them. I love your mom. So at age 10, all of my obstacles were removed in that one moment where I heard those words and said, that is my mantra for the rest of my life. And that's what I've carried. So like when I went to become a broadcaster and I graduated from San Francisco State, which at the time was the number one broadcasting school in the country, my counselor said, you do know that you want to be a reporter and one, only one in 1,000 people get selected. And I said, well, I only need one spot. So what's the problem? So everything we talk about the rest of today all centers around that 10-year-old toilet conversation with my mother and the counselor telling me there's only one spot available out of a thousand. And you went on to get that spot. So in essence, failure was never an option for you. Yeah. And you know, my favorite quote, I send out a quote every day to about 300 people just to get everybody's morning started. And there's one that they attributed to Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, but it was actually Marcus Aurelius. And it talks about to air in the arena If no one's ever heard of this, they've got to look it up. Just put in to air Roosevelt and it'll come up. And it basically says that if you get in the arena and you try with all of your heart, then even if you fail, you did not fail. Who fails is the people that do not get in the arena and try. And so that's been my philosophy. So have I failed? Of course. But did I fail in my heart because I tried? Absolutely not ever. I have never, ever failed. I've not accomplished things, but I've never failed because I attempted it. I know I've said this before, but my favorite quote by Albert Einstein that I modify, she who attempts the absurd can achieve the impossible. Right. (laughs) Kim, you took all this great experience about working remotely and you put it to paper with your good friend, Chris Dyer. I just completed a book called Remote Work, and I wrote it with a really good friend of mine, a CEO of a company called People G2, which is a, um, a background check company. And he and I have been belonged to the same CEO roundtable for a decade and always got along. And in 2008, he wanted to take his company virtual and asked me to help him. And about two years ago, he wrote a book through a publisher out of London called Kogan Page called uh, Corporate Culture. And they came back to him a year ago and said, we would like you to write another book. And he said, I'll only do it if I, if I can write it with Kim. And it is now in uh, with the publisher. It's all all the editing's been done. Everything's been done. And uh, it'll be coming out uh, as the latest will be May. And it is the Bible on how to go remote. And what we're trying to do is create a little bit of a movement. So Chris, my writing partner, says that I'm the creator, he's the ideator, and people are the implementers. So what we're trying to do in this book is show the creation process, the ideation process, so that the readers can create their own because their own circumstances are going to create their own set of solutions. And in those solutions are is wisdom for them to share with other people. So we've created a Slack site where as people read the book and morph things or come up with their own things, they can deposit it on this 
slap site and it's kind of the concept is pay it forward. But what I love about it is it's not only a Bible on working remotely, but it really ignites the entrepreneurial spirit that you are so famous for. Yeah. So let me, let, let me kind of set the premise for this. So in chapter one of the book, I tell the story of, I was asked to speak to the officers club at Camp Pendleton and a really good friend of mine at the time, General Mel Spies, who was the Supreme commander of Camp Pendleton had heard me speak. And he said, come speak to my guys. I'm like, okay, great. What do you want me to talk about? And he sent me an, an email and he says, we know there's something we don't know, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> and I went, okay, so what do you want me to talk about? We know there's something we don't know, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. How long do you want me to talk for? Oh, about an hour and 20, hour and 30 on the topic of, we know there's something we don't know, but we don't know what it is. I'm like, holy shit, what do I do with this? So I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I came up with exactly nothing. I had no idea how to talk. I didn't know what the audience was going to look like. I'd never been to the officer's club. I'm supposed to talk for an hour and 20 minutes. I don't have a topic. I, I can't turn it down because he's my buddy. So I show up and I go in and I see all of these guys in white uniforms and you know, the fruit salad on their things with all their star things and stuff on their chest. And, and I was so overwhelmed. I didn't even know what to do with myself. So at my table, which was right in front of the podium, there was this bottle of wine and I poured a monstrous glass of wine and I drank it all down in front of them. <laughs> I had the whole glass to the brim. And I got up in front of the podium and said, I have no idea what to do with you guys, but I've got you for an hour and 20. So let's jump in. And I could instantly read they were scared to death <laughs> and they were about to transition out of the military and into the private sector and I said you guys are about to commit a cardinal sin and that cardinal sin is that you think that the private sector has something on you because you don't know it and so you're all going to take managerial jobs instead of leadership roles and the difference is a manager does and a leader leads You've just spent your entire career leading. You don't know how to do it. You're not supposed to know how to do it. And the private sector doesn't need more managers. It needs more leaders. I could tell by the body language in the room that I was on to something. So I just kept going. And I was a little buzzed from the wine. So that helped. <laughs> now I'm growing some pretty good ones. And I'm like getting really, really bold. And I ask everybody to hold up their white napkin. So they all hold it in the air. And I said, I want you to all imagine that that napkin is one giant piece of Swiss cheese. And my job tonight is to train you to look at the holes in the cheese instead of the cheese. In the holes lies your opportunity. In the cheese is just more of. But in the holes lies your opportunity. So then I said, I pointed to this, I think he was a two-star general. I think his name was Thaddeus, if I remember right. And I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the whole room just like moved back. Like, you do not ask a general that question ever. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but he answered, you know, Kim, I don't know. 
And I said, well, then let's look at what you don't want to be. What don't you want to be? And he goes, well, I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to be stuck in a a cubicle. I don't want to be confined in the United States. I'm not sure I want to work with the military. I don't want to be broke. And he rattled off all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is just as powerful to know what you don't want to do as to know what you do want to do. So now we know what you do want to do by what you don't want to do. So we're good here. I said, so the best way to look at the holes in your Swiss cheese is to look at current events. And right now on the coast of Italy, we have a cruise ship called the Concordia that's stuck on a rock. Why? We have air marshals, but we don't have cruise marshals. So why don't you create a company and you get a bunch of guys in this room and set up some kind of certification program, go to six cruise lines and say, one of you gets to boast, we are the first cruise line to have cruise marshals. They hire you, you lock them down to a contract and you got a company. And he looked at me and he stood up and he put his hands to his mouth, like thanking me, like praying. And he sat down and I went, I'm on to something here. (laughs) And now to this day, I will talk to people and they'll go, I pursued the hole in my cheese. I pursued the hole in my cheese. And that's how the remote work book starts. Kim, this is why I have so much respect for entrepreneurs like you, because it takes a lot of courage to look through the hole in that cheese and find something where you're going to be able to build a business. You're going to be able to make it profitable. You're going to be able to get investors. What do you say to those people who are a little fearful to go down that path? Because it's just, there's such a big question mark as to whether or not they're going to find success. Yeah. So fear can be mitigated by logic. Forget the business plan and everybody what everybody tells you to do. Get a legal tablet of paper and draw a line in the middle. And on your left-hand side, write down the advantages of what it is your dream is. What are the advantages of that? What is, what's the holes in the cheese? What is it? What is it? Well, I, I'm going to make people happy and this is a product that doesn't exist and, you know, the world needs a new mood ring or you know, whatever it is, whatever it is in your heart. And when you're doing this list, first go from your heart and from your heart, right? Only your heart. Do not engage your head. Write everything down on the left-hand side. And then from your head, write down all the reasons why it can't happen. And then start drawing lines across. You'll see themes emerge. Well, that was what my head said, but my heart is bigger than my head. My head here is bigger than my heart. And start Xing things out and see what remains on your page. And what will remain on your page is your true business plan. The, not the business plan you write for investors, but your true business plan. It's your true north. And once you get your true north and you really focus on your true north, and it is from a combination from your head and your heart, you are invincible. People will invest in you or you'll figure out a way to finance it or you'll discover it doesn't require finances at all. I have to tell you, when I was in college, my very first real boyfriend, long-term boyfriend, he, he was an inventor, but he didn't have any money, but he had great ideas. So what he did was he had two inventions and he made $1 million from each of them and never invested a penny. The first one was 
a thing that looked like a hanger that would hang your curtains on your window. And he figured out a way to make tire chains out of this so that if you hook the first one in your tire chain, and this is back in the 70s, and you roll your car forward, it automatically put the chains on your tire. Boom. You didn't have to get wet. You didn't, And it could do it in like 20 seconds instead of 20 minutes. What he did, he called it the missing link. And he went to the Department of Transportation and with an entire case of more lives will be saved by firemen, highway patrol, and police officers having this as their tire chain application instead of what they currently have. This is how many lives will be saved. This is how much time will be saved. The Department of Transportation paid him $1 million for the patent and never did anything with it. But they couldn't not. And then the second one was, I like to fall asleep to the television. And back then, a test pattern would come on, that circle on your TV screen. He figured out a way to cut the power of your television when that pattern comes on. Back then, we were getting all of our televisions from Japan. He went to the Department of Energy and said, we will save this amount of energy by you making Japanese importers put this on their television before the televisions come to the United States will save this amount of energy. They paid him $1 million. They never did it, (laughs) but they couldn't afford not to buy it. So I was taught at a very early age at college with my boyfriend, Pat, that there's a lot of ways around actually having to get money, you know what I mean, to finance things. It's such purpose on his true north of what his invention could do that there was no way he was going to fail. Those are terrific examples because they're really outside of the box thinking to solutions, to problems we never knew we had. Right, right. And if you apply the Swiss cheese concept, why does Facebook own the market? Because they found the hole in the cheese and anybody can come in and add more cheese, but why would you, you know? And it's there's nothing against building a company that adds cheese to the cheese, if that metaphor makes sense, but it better be darn good and tight. And, and it's, it's more difficult to do that. Find the hole. There's holes everywhere. There are holes in everything that you do and, and everything that we see and everything that we are, find a hole. And then you have greatly increased your odds of success. Kim, thank you so much for all your guidance and your wisdom. Your book, Remote Work with Chris Dyer, will be coming out around May of 2021. Thank you for being on the show, and I wish you the best, my friend. Thank you, Gina. This has been really delightful. I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash leadlikealady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts. 